My name is Dr. Tram Jones. Starting in December 2019, my wife and I lived in Haiti. Recently, given the current insecurity, we are out of the country, but we continue to support and work with our partner clinic, Lesquati Moon, with its 53 employees on the ground in the city of Quadibouquet, Haiti. We were trundling down the road in Quadibouquet, Haiti in the middle of 2021. I was in the passenger seat. He was driving. My wife, Hannah, was in the back. He was a missionary who had been in Haiti for the previous year. In his prior life, he had run his family's carpet cleaning business. At the moment, as he drove, he was declaiming the lack of a business sense that he saw in many of the Haitians in his area. In particular, he was telling me about a friend of his who had started a little business making juice. He would make the juice in the morning and then go out to one particular spot for the entire day, selling as much juice as he could. According to the missionary, the man wasn't doing well. He wasn't able to sell much because the area had a lot of people selling the same thing, a lot of other juice sellers in close proximity. If only he understood business, he could actually make some money. Why not go to another area where there aren't as many people? Then he could corner the market. I've mulled this comment over in my mind for the last year. It brought me back to my late college years when I was volunteering in a medical clinic in Cusco, Peru. I remember walking around the city, dodging the overstuffed vans that served as city buses with no particular goal in mind. I stumbled across a street that looked like a real-life kaleidoscope. On both sides of the street, it seemed like the same store was being reflected every 20 feet. Eyeglass store after eyeglass store. Each little building looked identical, often with the same color and font for a sign. I remember having the same thought as the missionary in Haiti. Why were they doing this? I had a wonderful idea. If I were one of these shop owners, I would simply move my shop to the other side of town, and then I'd be the only glasses shop in the area, and business would boom. Why couldn't these people see that? I decided I wanted to do some research on this. And it turns out, there's a lot of people that have something to say about this very issue. And while we're looking down on business owners in the developing world, I came to realize that we do the exact same thing in the United States. Let's take, for instance, the most obvious American example, car dealerships. We all know the familiar feeling. You're driving down a four-lane highway a little out of town, and you start to see them on the left and the right. Toyota, Honda, Ford, Kia, all lined up in a little row. This seems very much to be the same phenomenon. It's just that we're so used to it, we don't really question it. The reason these stores agglomerate, as it's called, is obvious to us. Firstly, when you go to buy a car, at least in the old days before you could buy online, what do you want to do? You want to test drive several cars, compare them, and then purchase. There may be a straight dealership closer to me, but I'm much more likely to go to the part of town where multiple dealerships are located. Then I can go from one to the other, until I feel like I have the best deal. Now, I could go to that one standalone dealership close to me, but without the ability to compare, I suspect I might not get the best deal. Now, I might not do this with eyeglasses or juice for that matter, because the cost is so negligible compared to the cost of my time as an American. But if you're poor and thus have a low opportunity cost for your time, it doesn't really bother you to go a little further. After all, eyeglass purchases may be quite comparatively costly, When you're poor, it may be the equivalent of a big purchase. This is an underlying thought on one of the most basic realities of modern human existence, cities. Sure, restaurants and businesses could have simply interspersed themselves across the countryside so that everyone was pretty close to one. But that isn't how humans work. 
Restaurants and other businesses realized it was advantageous to cluster together into cities. If a farmer needed something, he'd go to one central location and easily compare products. The second reason car dealerships cluster is because of location. They try to find a highly trafficked area, perhaps next to a mall or a large road, that has a lot of available space. If one dealership finds a place ideal, well, it's likely that other car dealerships will as well. Unsurprisingly, this almost certainly plays a role in poorer cities. It's little surprise that juice sellers agglomerate in highly trafficked areas like intersections and busy roads. Thirdly, there's the issue of transportation of supplies. Perhaps it's not as essential for a dealership, but for an eyeglass seller, it certainly matters. A shipment of glasses can arrive at a single street and distribute to all the sellers, thereby sharing the cost of transportation. Lastly, if everyone sells in one area, everybody gets to cut down on marketing costs. More than half the battle for a brick-and-mortar retail store is to get customers into the area. You might see a billboard for a Toyota dealership near the mall. You decide to check it out. You do the usual thing and compare it to a Honda shop nearby and decide to purchase a nice new Honda Accord. Honda just got a purchase with free advertising. In the developing world, none of the iShops really have to put up signs pointing the way for people towards the store. Everyone knows where you need to go. You just go to that one street. We see this happen not just with car dealerships. There are lots of other examples. How about shops in the mall? How about farmer's markets? Or the seven to eight fast food restaurants that are all clustered right off every exit from the interstate? There's even a name for this phenomenon, hoteling's law. Let me illustrate the idea. I want to pose for you an example of two juice sellers, Billy and Ryan, who are selling along a hundred yard stretch of road. And you might need to draw this out. I know it's hard to visualize just listening to a podcast. Billy and Ryan start out like the American missionary wanted them, at opposite ends of the road, 100 yards apart. Billy at yard zero, Ryan at yard 100. They each are the closest option for 50 yards of the road. But Billy realizes something. He can move his little cart 10 yards closer to Ryan. This allows him to take all the customers to his right from yard zero to yard 10, and then he splits the remaining 90 yards with Ryan. Now Billy has 55 yards where he's the closest option. Now Ryan realizes this and moves closer to the middle to get more customers in turn. Eventually, Billy decides he's going to go straight to the midpoint, 50 yards in. He can command a monopoly on the 50 yards to his right, and then he splits the yards between himself and Ryan. To counter this, Ryan moves his cart next to Billy right at the 50-yard marker. I know it's very hard to visualize without drawing it out, but you can easily watch a demonstration I'll include a link below. The basic idea is that in most markets of two competitors, they will end up placing their shops right next to each other. This explains why Home Depot and Lowe's place their stores right next to each other. Home Depot often opens the first in a centralized location. Lowe's could space their store out, equidistant from the Home Depot and the edge of town, thereby becoming the closest store for a portion of the people on that half of the town. But they could really maximize their customers by locating next to Home Depot and splitting the town in two. If trying to explain this phenomenon without a pen and paper is confusing, that's fine. My takeaway is not that you would have a perfect grasp of hoteling's law. I really don't care about that. It doesn't matter to me if you have an academic view of the economics of juice carts in Haiti. That very specific knowledge is unlikely to help you in life. But the bigger takeaway is that these Haitian sellers were acting rationally. We're so tempted to assume that people in poorer countries don't understand business. We think, 
if only they did such and such. Isn't this obvious? And sometimes that might be the case. But from my experience, most of the time, we just don't really understand the environment. Perhaps the economics change when an eyeglass purchase is a major expense. It's unfamiliar to us, so we make assumptions. We need to step down from our pride constantly, constantly, and try to view the world through their eyes. Thank you for listening. Every Wednesday morning, we publish a new narrative from life here. We are simply telling stories as we have seen them in Haiti. But Haiti is a fascinating country with a rich history, and there are many Haitian voices that can tell the story of Haiti in all its facets, and we encourage you to seek them out. As we made this episode, some names may have been changed to protect confidentiality. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends or give us a rating wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about the work of Light from Light in Haiti or to get involved, visit us on the web at lightfromlight.me. Thank you and God bless.